Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every morning, Savannah residents who are living unsheltered, we're talking about the homeless who live in camps or on the street, know that they can find a hot shower and a hot meal at the Emmaus House, located in downtown Savannah on Reynolds Square. Most would call Emmaus House a soup kitchen, but as the facility's executive director, Ariana Berksteiner, makes clear in today's Difference Makers episode, Emmaus House is so much more. digital team at savannahnow.com. This is Difference Makers, a podcast featuring interviews with Savannah's community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. I'm Adam Van Brimmer, opinion editor and host of the Difference Makers and its sister podcast, The Commute. I'm delighted today to relaunch Difference Makers. We took a several month long sabbatical from this podcast as we dealt with management changes, and we took the opportunity to rethink the approach. We've talked to dozens of Savannah's household name community leaders over the last two years. We're talking mayors, business pioneers, education and health system heads, cultural icons. But as we looked to revive the podcast, we decided we needed a fresh approach. So every month, we'll focus on a specific theme and deliver two episodes, one with a high-profile difference maker, such as today's guest, Ariana Bergsteiner, and another with someone making a difference behind the scenes. This month, the topic is helping people in need. With that, Here's the interview with our latest difference maker, Ariana Berksteiner. Glad to have Ariana Berksteiner here as we relaunch Difference Makers. I appreciate everybody's patience over the last couple of months. And as I've written in the paper in the past that we had a little bit of a leadership changeover and the Difference Maker podcast took a bit of a sabbatical. And we are relaunching, and we're very excited to have Ariana to be our guest for the relaunch. But uh, we are going to keep the same format, and that means we start with biographical to let everybody get to know a little bit more about you. I think uh, there's probably a lot of people in town that know your name. Maybe they know your face. Uh, they certainly know Emmaus House and, and what they do in the community. But tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and what led you to do what you do. Yeah, of course. Well, first off, thank you for having me. Um, I'm honored to be here. Um, a little bit about myself. So I was born in Southern California. Okay. Um, I come from a very artsy, artsy-fartsy kind of family. Mm -hmm. um, I've, my mom is from Louisiana, and so I grew up with a lot of... Um, you know, Creole and Cajun influence. Mm -hmm. um, my dad is from Northern California. Um, and I had a very, very different um, young life than, I think, like Savannah right. um, youth experience. Um, have you, do you remember the show, The O.C.? I, I was not a uh, regular viewer, but I do know the. It was the... so I'm not. I was not a regular viewer because it was too real. <laughs> <laughs> it was very accurate, right. um, and that's. I mean, my my uh, my husband jokes with me about you know the idea of bullies or you know stuff like that, like that you see on TV. He's like, that's not real. Um, that's absolutely the kind of high school that I went to, right? Right. Um, 
And so it's just very different. Um, back in 2005, I met my husband. You're going to laugh. I met my husband on MySpace. MySpace. Um, do you remember MySpace? I, know that's I, I such do. Such a throwback. <laughs> is it still going? Is the question? I'll have to I don't check even my computer know. I hope not, done. because there are very weird emo pictures of me <laughs> back in 2005. So uh, yeah, so I met MySpace, my husband right. on MySpace, right? Um, and I came out to visit him. He's born and raised in Savannah. I came out to visit. Fell in love with the city. Fell in love with the boy. Um, at the time, I was working for Greenpeace, so mm. I was. Um, I have a little bit of an environmental back, an environmental nonprofit background. Um, I was in my early 20s trying to save the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came to Savannah and I fell in love with the community and I fell in love with the people and I fell in love with the Spanish moss. And mm-hmm. um, three months later, I moved here and now we're married and we've got two kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's been a wild, wild ride. But one coast to the other. One huh? coast. It was a very long walk. Right. Yeah, I was like, let me let me stop when I hit the other the other ocean. <laughs> and growing up, you mentioned you ended up with environmental background. Was that something you were interested in as a little girl, or how did that kind of develop? Yeah, so um, coming from Orange County, <laughs> um, there was very much uh, you know beach skater mm-hmm. sort of mindset. Everyone was vegetarian and vegan and mm-hmm. very hippie, and that's kind of the environment that I was sort of in. Um, and so I remember when I turned 16, I declared to my mother that I'm no longer eating meat. Um, and I saw a documentary, and I don't remember the name of it, but it had to do with how meat was processed. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I changed my mind about that. Um, and then I just sort of got even deeper and started researching um, about climate change. And this is, I mean, if I was 16, this is 20-something right. years ago. Right. Um, and then it just became a big, a big part of my life was, you know, um, when I it was in my early 20s and I was, you know, living in, with roommates. We had a compost bin in the backyard and, you know, we were all recycling and, you know, we would do beach cleanups all the time. And it was just a really, really big part of my life. So um, and then I moved to Savannah and y'all have low country boil out here. Mm-hmm. And so that whole vegetarian thing did yeah. not last long. All right. Um, all right. I'm sorry. I caved. Yeah. For both I the shrimp and the sausage? For all or, of it. Oh, all of it. Okay. Well, see, so I was the vegetarian girl moving across the country to meet my husband's family. I didn't want to be that person that was like, I see that you've cooked all this food. Yeah. I and can't I'm eat appreciative, but I can't eat any of it. I'm just going to have some. Yeah. I'll, I brought my own kale. Like, I didn't want to be, <laughs> I didn't want to give that first impression. Right. right. So, um, it was little by little, you know, I tried to call myself Piscatarian for a while. Right. And I just, right. I, I just gave up. Right. I've been in Savannah for 12 years. Right. So yeah, that didn't, that didn't last long at all. I just gave up completely. <laughs> now embra- I eat everything. <laughs> the embrace of the environmentalism, was that something that, that you were kind of looking for as a teenager? I mean, did you have, were you doing music? Were you doing sports? Were you just kind of, this is, I found what I've been looking for. Yeah. So I, my, like I said earlier, my, my family is very artsy. So I Mm -hmm. grew up in an environment where we didn't really watch a whole lot of TV Mm -hmm. except for trying to watch the OC and that didn't happen. Right. (laughs) Um, Good call. Thanks. (laughs) I make good decisions. Um, but we, instead of like sitting around and watching TV, my mom would take out colored pencils and paper and we would spend the entire day drawing mm-hmm. um and we just made art that was like my 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 family's thing and so i brought that into elementary school i brought that into high school i 
um, I was doing art shows. I was um, I painted with acrylic, and so um, a big part of my late teens, early twenties was saving the world through art and environmentalism. <laughs> that was Good that was you. my thing. That was my <laughs> thing. Um, and uh, and then when I moved to Savannah, it was like you know I'm I'm in this new com- completely new environment. Um, I had to kind of take a moment to sort of reassess who I am and what I want out of life. And, uh, you know, it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I came out here that, um, you know, there's more to life than Southern California. And um, I'm able to do a little bit more than I realized. And then when the Emmaus House opportunity came up, you know, I was already sort of um, involved in, in figuring out how to provide uh, resources for our friends who were living unsheltered. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine and I had started a little mini nonprofit where we would raise money to um, buy like scarves and hats and gloves um, mm-hmm. for folks living in the camps during the winter. Mm-hmm. And I had just started doing that with her when the Amaze House opportunity came up and it was just like kismet, you know, it was mm-hmm. meant to be. Um, do I still love the environment? Absolutely. We have, right. we, we can't, you know, we, we save our compost at Emmaus house. We recycle, um, you know, but, uh, just knowing that I'm making an impact mm-hmm. on individual people every day mm-hmm. on top of, you know, obviously us doing our part is very fulfilling. What was your exposure level in, in Southern California to, to folks experiencing homelessness? I know it's everywhere, but at the same time, was it a little bit of a shot to the system? Or was it different here than maybe it was there? Yeah, I feel like, um, so it's interesting. In my high school, I would say, I'm going to give a random number, maybe 55, 60% of my classmates were driving BMWs, mm-hmm. Mercedes, fancy cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of other people that I went to school with were living out of hotels. Right. Um, but you never really knew. And I think as a young person, like especially for me, like we didn't grow up with anything. Like we were, we were technically poor and I didn't know. I had no idea. I just knew that once in a while my mom would take us to a church and we would go in the church. She would go in and come back with bags of groceries. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask questions. I just knew that that's where we got that big old log of cheese every <laughs> week, right? Um, and that we had a, a community that would sometimes, you know, during Christmas, we would get a whole bunch of toys. I just I had no idea where they came from. So um, my mom was a single mom, and she made it work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I know as an adult now, you know, you, you are able to, you know, connect with people on Facebook and kind of learn a little bit more about individuals and what they were going through at that time and knowing that there were that I had friends that I didn't, we didn't hang out after school or anything, or I didn't go to their house, but I find out later that they were living in a, a motel. No idea. Um, I think the, the culture is a little bit different out there. Um, and obviously, you know, if you go outside of Orange County, I think when you go into like LA or Long Beach, you see more people experiencing homelessness on the streets, but you don't really see it as much in Orange County. You just see a lot of individuals who are um, housed, but are just very, very low income. Right. And you got the sense at some point that, hey, my mother's got work, but if something happens, we could be in the same position. Absolutely. Or, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I had my first job at 16. Mm-hmm. I've never not worked. I haven't stopped working a day since. Um, and I got that job not because I wanted pocket change to go to the movies. I got that job so that I could help my mom pay rent. Okay. Um, and so, you know, 
there was that also that mentality for me of like I understand um, that that hustle mentality of like you got to put the work in. Sure. You know you have to you have to um, from day one. And right now at Emmaus House, we have clients who come to us on a daily basis who have full time jobs. Right. But their wages are getting garnished. Right. Or they're just not even with the the job that they have, the full time job they have, it's not enough to live and work downtown. It's right. just not enough to pay rent. Right. Um so yeah. I I I get it. Yeah. First job, what was it? Oh my gosh. I worked at Fat Burger. <laughs> at sixteen. Here's a vegetarian when I was a <laughs> newly vegetarian. That was hard. Yeah. Um but yeah, and I only got that job because my mom, um, that was her first job when she was mm-hmm. living in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. She, her first job was at a fat burger, and she would tell me about it all the time. Right. And then they opened a fat burger in Brea, California, and I was so excited. I was like, Mom, I'm going to have my first job just like yours. I was there for two weeks. Yeah. I was newly veg- vegetarian, so I was right. there for two weeks. You were in and out. Couldn't do it. And where'd you go from there? At World Market. Okay. Cost Plus World Market. Some retail, I was there. Huh? Yeah, yes. And that's my favorite job. To this day, actually, obviously, aside from Emmaus House, but I learned so much from that job because when I first started, I had a supervisor named Rick. And for me, this is like my first my first real job because Fat Burger was two weeks and I hated every minute of it mm-hmm. because I wanted to eat all the burgers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but my first um, supervisor, Rick, I'll never forget as I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm ready to go. Right. Um, and he told me, he said, you know. Um, I'm technically your manager, and he was the general manager of the store. He's like, I'm your manager, but I want you to understand that I work for you. And for me, I was like, wait, but you're the boss. That doesn't make any sense. What do you, I literally, on paper, I work for you. What are you saying? And he was like, as your supervisor, my purpose is to make sure that you have everything you need. You have the tools you need, like whether it's education, physical tools that you need. Do you need a working register? Do you need a step letter? Whatever it is that you need in your for for your position for your duties. My job is to make sure that you have that. So I'm serving you. Mm. And I thought that was so cool. And I've never forgotten it. To this day, that's, that's my management style. Yeah. And Sorry I don't even, later, right? Absolutely. I think, that's, I think that you're ineffective um, as a leader if your, your purpose is to walk around and throw your weight around and tell people what to do. Right. Um, I think you're most effective when you can say, what can I do? What can I do? What do you need? What, what, what can I do to make sure that all of this is running smoothly? Um, and also, he was just really funny and outgoing, and people just trusted him, and he was very approachable. Um, and that was my introduction to management. So, um, you know, I, from then, I sort of took note of when it wasn't going right with management, right? right. Like when he, he transferred stores, and the next person who took over for him was the polar opposite. Different style, yeah. 100% different. Um, but I took stock of that, right? Like mm-hmm. this is what I'm seeing that works and mm-hmm. what doesn't. Um, and people who feel comfortable with their manager are going to be honest about things that are going on in the store, um, and you know, that's how you, that's just how you do it. Right. Um, and I remember feeling with Rick. I remember feeling um, that I wanted to do everything right because I didn't want him to be disappointed in me. Right. Um, not so much like I didn't want to be written up or I didn't want to get in trouble sure. or even no. docked my pay. Like I wasn't worried about that. I just didn't want to disappoint him as a person. Yeah. I felt like that. That's 
really important. Yeah, that's a connection that I think all of us seek yeah. in our working life. And it, it makes such a difference more than pay, more than than anything else the company can provide is if you have yeah. that level of, of respect and accountability to each other. That's what makes people want to stay in their job, right. right? If you're that's excited right. to go to work and you, you know, you feel supported as an employee and uh, valued and you enjoy your time while you're there, you know, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's exactly right. We interrupt this Difference Makers interview with the Mayas House's Ariana Bergsteiner to tell you about the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Savannah's economy is booming. Greasing the wheels of that economic engine are the folks at CETA. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Again, that's CETA.org, S-E-D-A.org. Now, back to the discussion with Ariana Brooksteiner. So you talked about coming to Savannah and kind of getting in touch and in tune with, with the unsheltered and people living in homeless camps and making uh, hats and, and, and getting them gloves. Mm-hmm. At what point did it kind of dawn on you that this is ultimately the, the direction I want to go, at least for the, the, the time being in terms of my career? Yeah, um, I would say I, I was already invested in, in serving in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved here, I, um, I started attending my husband's church. Mm-hmm. Um, it became my church. It's where we got married, where we had, uh, where I was baptized again with my mom. We were very connected to this church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that our church was so um, active in the community. Like we would, um, we were just, we did a lot. We was, you know, meal sales and we would, you know, go to the different shelters and work in the soup kitchens and stuff. And I remember going to inner city night shelter for the first time, um, and serving there. And so that was kind of my first, um, my first taste, I guess, of, of giving back Mm -hmm. in Savannah specifically. Um, and, uh, understanding, you know, the difference between environmental nonprofit work back in California versus helping people right on the street here in Savannah. Um, Southern California is so big, right? And mm-hmm. it's, when I say that, I mean like primarily Orange, Orange County, but it's just, there's so much going on mm-hmm. that all of the work seems to kind of get lost. But out here, you can see the direct effect of your work. Um, and so I think that being involved, and the church was called, uh, the Church of Speedwell, United Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being involved with Speedwell was really, really big for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I connected with this friend of mine who was uh, um, who had started this, this nonprofit purchasing gloves and hats and scarves, and we were called Head, Shoulders, Fingers, Toes. It's a mouthful. That's what the a little nonprofit was called. But um, it's a little rhyme going. It's, so. it's yeah, Head, Shoulders, Fingers, Toes. But it's just it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. Um, but it but it it worked. You know, mm-hmm. we had a whole lot of fun, and I remember putting packs together at home, and we just made it a whole project, and it was. Um, you know, I was, my husband was like, oh my gosh, if you get one more, you know, shipment to the house of 500 socks, like, oh, can you, I, I ordered a headphone and I don't know where it is because there's like 600 boxes. <laughs> it's buried. In the, in yeah, it's buried. But um, if he needs socks, but it, you know, right there. <laughs> I mean, Bombas, Bombas socks are the best. There you go. Um, they're, but they're on top of the headphones. Right. 
Um, but yeah, I just remember having having such a not just having fun, but just feeling so good about doing that. Um, that when the Amaze House position became available, and I saw the amazing work that Amaze House was already doing, like it just was a it was a no brainer. And I think my first day. Uh, when I actually got to Emmaus House, I got to see the the program running. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was nervous. It was my first, you know, it was actually my interview. Um, and I, t- I love this story. So I, I parked on Broughton and I walked through Reynolds Square to get into Emmaus House mm-hmm. for the interview. And I remember seeing this gentleman sitting on the bench. And mind you, I'm, I'm going to this interview knowing that I'm going to a place that provides services for people experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. So I have that on my mind. So I'm looking around the square to see if I can recognize faces or, you know, just looking around. So I recognize this, and I didn't recognize him, but I saw this man sitting on a bench. Um, and he looked defeated. He had his head down. He was sort of pulled in. Um, and I just remember taking mental note of him. Mm-hmm. And so I went into Emmaus house. I had my interview and went well, obviously. Um, and so I came out and that's when the breakfast service was like kind of in full swing. Mm-hmm. And I saw that same man sitting at a table inside of Emmaus house mm-hmm. and he was open, mm-hmm. meaning he was talking to people right. around him. Right. He was, um, uh, you know, engaged, engaged very right. much. So, um, laughing and talking to people across the table, pouring people coffee. Like he was, and I just, I, I, I remember at that moment, I was like, this is what this place does for him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know his story. I don't know mm-hmm. what he was going through in the square. He could have just been sitting down waiting for us to open, like right. not a big deal. But for me, it was like I saw the direct effect that this place had on this man. And I was like, I want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. I want to be part of this. I want to be able to see that every day. I want to feel this feeling every single day. So a lot of us see homelessness and we see it from a distance, even if yeah. it's walking right past as close as we are right. to each other we're not most of us aren't stopping we're not engaging and that's not to say there aren't people that that listening to this that volunteer that are whether they're at the mayor's house or some other uh organization or people in need however they want to do it but for the most part i think a lot of people they homelessness is they're they're detached from it right. as you became very close to it what were some of the things that, that maybe surprised you or jumped out to you that, that people really need to know about people who were living with homelessness? Yeah. Um, I remember shortly after Hurricane Matthew um, happened back in 2016. Um, this was in October. So I would probably say maybe January or so. Um, we had a lady come in to Amaya's house for the first time. She'd never been there before. She'd never experienced homelessness. Really wonderful lady. And she had her house destroyed by Hurricane Matthew. Um, she had a job. She had, you know, she was working. She was just like you and I. Um, but her house was destroyed and everything in it. And um, when she came to us, she literally had nothing. Um, her daughter, who lived with her at the time, had to go move out of state to live with family because she couldn't take care of her. And she found herself at a mate's house. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's one of those things where something out of your control can happen that will pull the rug out from underneath you. And if you don't have a community mm-hmm. of people, like I wouldn't be here right now if it weren't for my family or my friends and my support system, right? We all have a, some kind of support system. But if you don't have one and you don't have, and the system is not in place or not necessarily set up for you to win, um, 
you end up at Amaya's house. And that's what happened to her. Um, and she's not alone. Uh, we have so many individuals who've come to us who have had someone in their home that they were dependent upon mm-hmm. pass away. Mm-hmm. And so if that person passes away, you're not able to cover the rent, utilities. Right. Uh, you can't take care of yourself. Maybe you've had um, an, uh, an illness that requires medication, and now you, can't, you don't have access to that medic- medication. For instance, like fibromyalgia. I've got clients at, at Emmaus House that come to us on a regular basis who are currently using, and they're mm-hmm. only using because they don't have access to the medication that makes their pain go away. Right. And they, when they ended up on the streets, someone said, hey, I see you're in pain. I, I can hook you up. Mm-hmm. If you're in enough pain, yeah, of course. And mm-hmm. now, they're, now they're using on a regular basis. Right. So it's just, I, I feel like it's so important for people to understand that people don't choose this kind of lifestyle, right? right? There are some people who probably do, and that's fine. Right. But for the most part, people are not choosing to live on the streets. Mm-hmm. They're, they were just dealt this particular set of cards, and things are not set up in a way for them to succeed. Right. There um, but by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Right. Let's talk about Emmaus House. I know you're coming up on your 40th? 40 years. 40th anniversary. Yeah. Walk us through. I, I, most people know what you do, but for those that don't, walk us through through what Emmaus House is and what you do. Absolutely. So Emmaus House Soup Kitchen, we provide meals, laundry, showers, and clothing to individuals experiencing homelessness or hunger. Um, We don't take any, we don't ask any questions. Anyone who comes to us can gain access to our services. We're open Monday through Friday. Um, 6.30 a.m. we provide um, a hot shower so folks can come in and one person at a time. Obviously, COVID, we know mm-hmm. we have to practice as many of the safety protocols as possible. Mm-hmm. So one person at a time comes in, takes a hot shower. Uh, we sanitize the shower between each person. Uh, we can drop off a load of laundry. We can we'll have we have a laundry attendant that actually washes individuals' clothes for them. And mm-hmm. We just pick it up the next morning. Mm-hmm. And then at 8.30 a.m., we, um, we provide a delicious hot meal. We have an amazing executive chef who is not the kind of person that sticks to like a breakfast right. menu. Right. You know, it's not eggs and bacon right. around here. Oh yeah. no, it's like turkey wings, meatballs, uh, <laughs> spaghetti, that good like fried chicken, like mm-hmm. the stick to your bones all day kind of food. And that's the idea is that mm-hmm. we don't know. We know where the services in Savannah are where you can get an, another meal throughout the day. But if you're traveling through, that might be your only meal for the day. Right. Um, so our goal is to, to make you nice and full. We usually give out seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at 8.30, we provide meals. And then every Wednesday at 10 a.m., um, folks can come to us to shop our clothing closet. So we mm-hmm. provide um, clothes, obviously. We also do shoes, socks, and then camping gear as well. So um, like sleeping bags, tents, anything that if you were sleeping in a camp, which mm-hmm. we have over 30 camps in Savannah. And so we've got lots of people who are living in camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they, you know, a tent rips or sleeping bag rips and they need to come to us for for replacement so we provide that every wednesday at 10 Mm -hmm. Uh, we're constantly taking donations you know we have a full soup kitchen we have a full clothing closet so we're always in need of you know food related items paper products on a regular basis um clothing donations sleeping bag donations all of the above if you think if you can think of it we probably need (laughs) anything but furniture we'll take basically at this point um and yeah, and so we do that Monday through Friday. We have awesome volunteers. We're always looking for more volunteers. Um, and we're connected to the community to provide these resources for people who are living unsheltered. Mm-hmm. 
you work out of the Christchurch Parish Hall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Christchurch graciously gives us that space. Um, we're proud to partner with them to be able to provide these resources. Right. So. And you mentioned that you have a pretty good idea of what services are offered elsewhere in town. Is there a bit of a coordinated effort in, oh, yeah. in terms of that? Yeah, we, uh, we, we know where to send folks. Basically, if someone comes to us and they're, especially if they're newly homeless, we mm-hmm. provide those basic services, right? We make sure they have a meal, clean clothes, they brush their teeth, whatever they need to do. And then the question is, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. Like, what's my next step? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm clean. I've got a shower and everything. That's great. But I'm still, I still need a myriad of different resources. Um, and so we are happily, proudly United Way funded. Um, and so we have access to that database of other agencies in Savannah that do provide resources so we can get individuals into emergency um, mm-hmm. housing. Um, we can connect with the homeless authority and have them put into the coordinated entry program to get them into housing. Um, we refer individuals to counseling, to mm-hmm. recovery. We actually have a, an AA meeting that takes place at Emmaus House mm-hmm. um, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1 o'clock, so we can send people there. Um, so usually if there's something that we don't do, we can very easily um, make a referral to another agency that does re- uh, provide those wraparound services. Right. A lot of people, when they talk about homelessness in Savannah, they there's a couple of different uh, lack of a better word, classifications. You have the mm-hmm. chronic homeless yeah. that they're dealing with probably mental illness mm-hmm. that choose to live in the camps. And then there's the other that are, that are more acute that they've hit on hard times and they're going to climb back out. Yeah. How do you manage all that? And how do you maybe try to help based on, do you go, are you basically trying to meet people where they are? Is that the best way to put it? So as far as us at Amaya's house, we are, just a resource, okay. right? Like okay. we, our goal is to make sure that people who are unsheltered mm-hmm. that aren't able to have access to the things that you and I are able to do every morning, right? Mm-hmm. Cause we take place, all of our services are early morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when I wake up in the morning, I can take a hot shower, I can brush my teeth, I can okay. eat something, have a cup of coffee and mm-hmm. speak to someone in my family. Hi, yeah. good morning. How are you? Right. right. Um, and so our goal, our purpose is to really be that space where people can come and have those things get taken care of and be able to go into the rest of their day right. with some level of dignity and right. self-respect. Right. So regardless of, of, of what their situation is, you are basically f- providing a little bit of a family Yes. Family feel. Yeah. And that's the re- kind of the reason why we don't really ask anybody questions when they come to us. Right. Um, and my, I've always looked at it, at least from my perspective, like... Um, going back to kind of a church setting as mm-hmm. far as, you know, when you, um, let's say you go into to church and this, you know, the sermon's happening and you hear the door open and someone probably came into the back from the back of the church and they're literally just there at the church mm-hmm. to hear the word. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily trying to become, you know, they're right. not trying to fellowship. Right. They're not trying to connect with anyone. Right. They might be in crisis mode right. and they're like, I just need to get this word, mm-hmm. I need to. I I need to hear because I I need to hear this. Mm-hmm. I need to. I need to hear th- this. There's a void that I need to fill mm-hmm. right now. Will mm-hmm. I be back tomorrow? I don't know. Hopefully, mm-hmm. and that's my my mentality is we don't ask questions because I don't need anybody to tell me that they were sleeping right. in a tent last night. I'm not right. going to ask that question. Right. Um. I don't need anyone to tell me. You know, whatever horrible th- thing might have happened that night before. Yeah. I just want you to get 
Okay. Get this service. Get what you need. Get what you need. And then if you decide to come back tomorrow and you want to ask for help or you want to be part of the fellowship, oh my gosh, by all means, you know, mm-hmm. connect with us. But we're just there to make sure that those basic needs are taken care of, just like that individual needed to just walk into that church and get the word and go. Again, you are listening to a conversation with the Emmaus House's Ariana Brooksteiner. While she takes a short break, I have a call to action for you. Subscribe to savannahnow.com. Our website is the best place to keep up with community news, sports, and yes, opinion makers. And right now you can get three months access for $3. I'm not a mathematician, but that works out to $1 a month. See, did that in my head. Didn't have to use a smartphone. It's always, always a bonus, especially when you're a journalism major. Anyway, it's a pretty good deal. So go to savannahnow.com or download our app and see our product for yourself. Then hit the subscribe button to get full access. Now, back to the Difference Makers interview with Ariana Bergsteiner. You mentioned the clothing closet earlier. I know that's a a relatively new initiative, right? Can you tell us in terms of the details on that? For sure. So we've had a clothing closet for a while, um, but it wasn't, it was kind of like another organization. So the St. Joseph Community Church was in charge of the clothing closet, has been for years. Um, It just happened to be in the same building. And so we actually took on the St. Joseph Community Church's clothing closet back in May of last year. Um, And it just made sense because everyone thought that it was ours anyway because it was all in the same building and it got kind of convoluted. And we were finally like, you know what, let's just absorb it. It's part of our, our organization. We have the same clients that come to have access to the clothing closet, so why not just make it all a Mayus house? Um, and then we were able to track, you know, track the number of individuals that come to us. We were able to make the program a little more streamlined um, and just really took it on. Um, and it's great. I mean, we, I think we served 178 people. I think that was the number um, just half of last year, wow. and that's individuals. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that those are people who were able to, to get clothing that would, they wouldn't have otherwise been able to have access to. Um, and, you know, we see so many folks that come to Emmaus House without shoes, right. just barefoot walking around the cobblestone. Um, and so it's really it's really nice to be able to, to absorb that program and be able to um, to provide, you know, that other very, very basic need. Yeah, that's so, shoes, socks, underwear, I mean, and coats are the, yeah. the big four, right? Oh, yes, 100%. Yeah. And those are the, the things that we get asked for the most, for sure. Yeah. Especially yeah. during the winter months, a lot of jackets and coats. Um, and I think we, right now we're good on jackets and coats, but the big thing is like, you know, new underwear, new Mm. men's underwear. Um, we've got plenty of socks, um, but like jeans, men's jeans, we really need like backpacks, good size backpacks, Mm. um, that can hold a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, sleeping bags and tents are regular. Um, so those are the, the typical, the typical items that folks have to They're listening to this right now and they want to participate on that how do they donate is it just bring stuff to you or they, can they order stuff online to be delivered to you both all of the above yeah so our website is united ministries savannah.org um there is a link on the website to donate um and then also if you go on our facebook we have a it's facebook.com slash emmaus house savannah uh we're also on instagram emmaus.house um and then all the links to like our link tree that has all of our, you know, all of our internet stuff, mm. um, all the internet stuffs, and uh, um, the link to our Amazon wish list that has um, 
you know, hygiene products that we need, clothing mm-hmm. items that we need, supplies for the soup kitchen and all that stuff. It's all on Amazon, too. So. Okay. Very good. Lots of different ways. Right. Another way to give back is going to be a fundraiser you're having later in the fall. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? It is my favorite time of the year mm-hmm. when the Empty Bowl fundraiser starts because it tells me that we're going into fall and the holiday season is among us. Right. Um, so the first Sunday of every November, we have the Empty Bowl fundraiser, which is basically an art show. Mm-hmm. So essentially, we've got different um, ceramic artists all over Savannah, um, like the Savannah Clay community, the Clay Spot, um, local artists will donate beautiful handmade bowls to Mm -hmm. us. And uh, we collect hundreds throughout the year. And uh, on this particular day, um, folks can come to Reynolds Square. We have it all set up. And they can come in and pick out whatever bowl that they want. You can literally just pick a bowl that speaks to you. Um, And then you get a delicious um, soup lunch as well. So our chef makes just like the most outrageously delicious soups. She makes a seafood chowder that I've tried to replicate, and I just can't do it. And it is phenomenal. Um, But it's a wonderful soup lunch, beautiful art. The tickets are 20 bucks. Um, It's a great way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Um, And all the proceeds go right back into the Mayas House program. So it allows us to, you know, purchase food, food supplies, everything that we need to maintain our program. So So that's November the 6th. But I assume as we get closer, you're going to start to to, to look, people should look for promotions on that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, once we get closer. (laughs) Um, As we start to wrap up here, I wanted to talk a little bit more big picture. And we can't talk about anything these days without talking about COVID. Right. And I know that, that COVID has had quite an impact on, maybe not an impact on your services, but the way you go about doing your services. Can you talk yeah. us through that and maybe some of the the changes that you've seen that, that are probably COVID related? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in April 10th, 2020 was the day that we decided to close our dining hall. Right. So before that, again, this was the past, 30 something years, almost 40 years. We've been providing these meals. We've been allowing people to come inside of the building to sit down have this congregate meal. Um, and there's something about, you know, being out on the street and living outside and living in, in an environment that's not meant for human habitation. And then to become, to be allowed to come inside of the space where you're welcome and you're not told to get out. You're not told to get a job. You're not told to whatever other tropes that people right. experiencing homelessness here. Right. Um, they're welcomed. And so, you know, that's kind of what we've always prided ourselves on, right? Like, welcome, have a nice hot cup of coffee. How are you? What do you need? You know, we, our volunteers get to interact with our clients in a way that's just kind of special. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, has always been the thing that I love the most about Emmaus House, right? Like the story I told earlier about the gentleman who was sitting on the bench and then I saw inside who was, you know, um, sort of came out of himself. And so, the fact that we've had to close our dining hall has been really, really hard. Painful. Uh, yeah. Um, it's tough. And we're still able to provide our services. You know, the, the things that people come to Emmaus House to gain access to, they still have. That, that, but that special, that special little nugget mm-hmm. that is Emmaus House and, 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 you know, being able to connect with people, we just don't have anymore. Um, and there's a myriad of reasons um, you know, we had an executive chef that was with us for 20 years who retired at the very end of 2019. She got out just in time, mm-hmm. <laughs> right before mm-hmm. the chaos. Right. Um, and, you know, and so people knew her, you know, they were connected with her. Um, they would call her Auntie Frida, right? 
Um, and so with her being gone and then with COVID, um, you know, we had to close our doors and um, it was just kind of a sad, it was a sad year. Uh, we were blessed to be able to have our current executive chef, who's phenomenal, um, made that process much easier because she is just brilliant. She's an amazing chef. Um, our clients connected with her right off of the bat, um, so it could have gone a lot worse, right? right. <laughs> um, but she's just an absolute joy, so we're really blessed to have Chef Brandy. But yeah, it was just it was it was tough, and so I think, right, you know, with this particular population and COVID. Uh, there's been a lot of work done in the community, obviously, to make sure that the vaccine is available to mm-hmm. everyone, which mm-hmm. I think we did a really, we've done an awesome job with. Right. Um, shout out to J.C. Lewis. We've okay. had vaccine sites at Emmaus House with them, mm-hmm. um, and they've, on a monthly basis, they're at, you know, I think four or five different sites on a regular basis to provide the vaccine. So they're doing, you know, they're doing it. They're doing a great job. But I think with the Delta variant and the Omicron variant and this particular population, while there are resources out there, being ill with COVID could be life or death. Right. Um, and it's just not something that I'm even remotely comfortable with playing around with. Okay. So we're gonna be we're gonna have a closed dining hall until until things until it makes sense to safely reopen. Right. Um, you know, we want all of our volunteers first and foremost. I mean, we can't do any of the work that we're doing without volunteers. We could. It's very difficult. We did right. it for like a couple weeks. At the very beginning, we asked our volunteers to stay home, and it was just the staff making meals and distributing meals, and the amount of sweat yeah, yeah. produced by each individual was a lot of work. I was right. like, can I just go write grants, please? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. so tired. Um, so we need our volunteers, and so I want them, each and every single volunteer, we have an amazing volunteer base, mm. and I want them, first and foremost, to feel confident and right. to feel safe coming to Emmaus House. Um, because the work that they're doing, that they're doing regularly is phenomenal. Mm. Um, so I want them to feel good. And I want my staff to feel like they're coming to a safe workplace. Mm. Um, and right now it's just, we're not there yet, right. unfortunately, but yeah. it's, it's hard every day to look at that dining hall and yeah, see and that see it it's empty, storage huh? yeah. basically. And right. there's no people sitting at the tables. Right. Look at there. Are you seeing uh, any trends in terms of demographic shifts or are you, mainly serving the same folks you were before COVID hit? Yeah, so we're, we've, in the past, and even now a little bit, we've always seen primarily middle-aged to elderly black men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's still the the majority. Right. Um, but I would think, I would say that since COVID, the, like the demographics of the people that we're seeing regularly has shifted. Like mm-hmm. we're seeing more women. Mm-hmm. Um, still not a lot, but mm-hmm. definitely more than we had. Um, we're seeing a, a shift in, in who we're seeing racially. Like mm-hmm. there's more white white individuals. There's mm-hmm. more Hispanic and Asian individuals mm-hmm. um, than we've seen in the past. And I think that I think that's just a culmination of of all of it. Right. You know? Right. Interesting. You mentioned earlier the whole idea of somebody somebody that's working. You know, the affordability is an issue. Of course, we know here in this town, affordable housing is. If it's not a crisis, it's a crisis. crisis. Let's just say it's a crisis. And obviously there's some push with the city of Savannah is is saying we're paying at least $15 an hour. Uh, There's a lot of businesses through just the market demands that are paying higher wages now. Mm -hmm. Are we kind of, though, chasing a car that we're never that we're struggling to catch when it comes to a living wage in this town? Or or do you think it's just cyclical or what are you kind of seeing? I... I don't know. 
I feel like I feel like at the end of the day, if you are working in a restaurant downtown, you have to be able to also live downtown so that, or mm-hmm. be able to get to your job. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to afford the place that you're living. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes perfect sense. But then if all of the prices for everything go up, yeah. Then it just doesn't make sense, yeah. right? Then the if the if the minimum wage is fifteen, mm-hmm. everything needs to be affordable. Right. Everything needs to be affordable. That's right. basically it. Right. I want to be able to afford things. I want to be able yeah. to go to work and, like my great grandpa did mm-hmm. back in the day, and work an honest days of work and come home and be able to afford to live. Mm-hmm. However, way that that needs to take place. Right, you know, right. Figure it out. <laughs> and it's got to be somewhat. It it's got to be somewhat encouraging that at least from a uh, maybe the policies aren't enacted yet, but at least we're trending that way. Yeah. In, in in some ways, with some. And we're you know even at Emmaus House, we've we're headed in the direction to to get to that number to where everybody who comes to work for us is getting paid no more, no less than fifteen dollars an hour. Right. Um, but you know we're a nonprofit, and it's right. it's it's hard for us to do that. Um, so you know. Go online and donate yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to amaze us. Um, but you know it's difficult for us. I can just imagine how it is for other for other agencies. You know, um, but we have to get there. Yeah, we have to get there. Yeah. Well, thank you for indulging us. I guess it's political, but we didn't make it political. So. <laughs> and that's, so that's kind that's of good. my thing is you know, it's all going to be political at some point or another. But when I wake up in the morning, I I think first think about my kids, and then I think about the people that I know I'm going to see that day at right. Emmaus house. Right. And I see their faces and I mm-hmm. say, I hope, you know, I hope that, you know, chef's got a great meal plan. Right. Um, you know, I think about certain individuals who I know might need help with something. And I'm thinking about how I can help those particular people yeah. and how I hope that our system can be set up in a way that those individual people have some foundation to stand on mm-hmm. to that, to the point where they can get to be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for for sharing your story and sharing everything you're doing. And thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, we'll look forward to the day you can get that dining hall open. I know. I can't wait. Thanks again. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Difference Makers. Thanks to the Emmaus House's Ariana Berksteiner for being our latest Difference Maker. Thanks also to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Savannah State University President Kimberly Bauer-Washington, Chatham Emergency Management Agency's Chelsea Sawyer, and Savannah Police Chief Roy Minter. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. On behalf of myself and producer Zach Dennis, thank you for listening. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.